With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Minefield podcast from Anfield Index Pro. I am your host, Alan O'Donoghue, and as always, I am joined by my wonderful sidekick, Mr. Andrew Vincent. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm good, but I think saying, as always, is uh, like we're always on the pod together, but to say that our pod happens always or anything close to always, like I think is a, a total misrepresentation of how frequently we have these conversations at this point. I... I, I believe that the reason we have these infrequent conversations is purely down to the fact that when we do talk the amount of awesomeness that comes out is just too much for the world to be able to cope with if we were to do this more regularly that's what i'm telling myself anyway and it must be like the gestalt cycles conversation <laughs> stop stop there's so much awesomeness in the gestalt episode that we get to pause everything exactly. for several months and uh here we are. The awesomeness is faded enough that it's safe for the world <laughs> that we return. I'm just realizing as well, this could well be the first time that some listeners have listened to the Mindfield podcast and they've just heard us talking ourselves up. Isn't that fantastic? You know, yeah, no, well, pretentious pricks talking about themselves. <laughs> that's great. And you won't have to worry about it for another three months or four exactly. months or something exactly. like that. Exactly. So exactly. soak it in, listeners. <laughs> Enjoy it. I'm just... I'm just yeah so we've only had like two people stay on and that's okay we're okay with that um so anyway today andrew what we wanted to kind of tap back into was the mentality monsters but i want to frame it in the perspective of liverpool in its current iteration in terms of the culture that we have and how mentally strong the team are showing they can be and Let's dip into some of our, what we call them, um, oppositional uh, f- teams and um, and some of them are not close to us, but they may just be like, you know, our enemies of, of sorts in terms of what it looks like for them and their culture right now. But let's let's start with Liverpool. OK, so for a lot of pundits back in January, the league was over. Man City were, I think, 10 points clear at the time. They had just won. Um, I can't remember who they beat. And anyway, all the talk was, that's it. 
league is over. At the time, I remember thinking, every season, somebody says this around this time. And every season, usually people are proven wrong because it's, or it's not as clear cut as as it looks. Um, and we had our good friend Bernardo Silver from Manchester City being interviewed after they drew a Crystal Palace, basically having his Kevin Keegan moment where he's like, they got to come to our place and we they got to play us and that's not going to be easy for them. And we hear nothing like that from Klopp. We hear nothing like that from any of the interviews with any of the, the squad or the backroom staff that I've noticed anyway. Talk to me a bit about the culture that we've built that opposition teams are talking about us so much and we are still maintaining this bubble of we don't talk about anybody else and we just get on with things. Yeah, I think, you know, for one, like, um, it's one thing to say we're going to focus on one thing, one game at a time. It's another thing to really believe that. And I think, like, uh, Klopp is so committed to that at, like, a very real way. I mean, there's the cliche version of that where everyone says it and no one does it, and then there's the real version of that. And I think that's something, like, this Liverpool group has managed to do really well and, like, put processes in place to, like, really keep that focus on exactly what's next and gotten good buy-in around that. Um, And so, like, I think that's where it comes from is just, like, you're not when you're focused on what's right in front of you and you're focused on what's next, there's just not enough time. Like the, the other stuff just fades in importance. What's important is what's next and the other stuff isn't important. Although like it can be distracting, um, mm. you know, it's not as important. So it fades into the background a bit. Yeah. And I think more recently there's been obviously tons and tons of discussion and, you know, headlines and everything written about Mo Salah and his contract situation and fans are having like meltdowns and there's massive conversations and discussions. But you listen to Klopp and he's, you know, well, what he's saying publicly is, I'm not worried, there's nothing to talk about. Everything's fine. Yeah, well, you know, I think like um, the more I've had a chance to work with some people in the professional side of sport, like the more I've recognized like there's a behind the curtain aspect to it that's like much more calm and and normal and like the the fan pundit side of it is like a bit more narrative driven and it like um not even a bit more narrative driven much more narrative driven and much more short term like and um you know like there's just a a reality that like i think on the fan side and the pundit side every event either belongs to a narrative or becomes a story and like kind of on the other side of that curtain, sometimes things just happen or are going on or they're going slowly or aren't nearly as exciting as they're sort of made out to be on like the media side of things because that's how you sell stories or just like aren't as terrifying as they are for fans. Um, and so like, you know, part of that is there's just a day to day like, um, you know, if if we're fans, right, and we're like, hey, what's next for us? We're like, oh, it's the next game on the weekend. But for the the players, it's like, oh, well, it's like next is coming to training tomorrow and seeing people and doing this and then training again and then training again and then going an international break and then coming back. And so, you know, like there's more of a, an actual thing that they can be focused on um, too, which I, like, I think, you know, there's kind of a grind just 
in reality to being a player and being on the inside of that where like it's hard work and you're having to put in that hard work and that hard work's not all as exciting as the games and that's not to say like it's not an exciting life being a professional sports person it's just like um i think it takes the edge off of some of the things like the this contract dispute we'll call it a dispute or whatever like these contract rumors like you know that this is a mundane part of their job to some extent is like, well, people get contracts all the time and there's always conversations and stuff between agents. They can be more calm about it, especially when you're someone like Klopp because he's been around for a long time now. Like he comes across as a young man, except like, you know, he's been doing this for a really long time now. And so like he can be calm about this in a way where it's hard for fans to be calm about it um, because like he sees it in a totally different way. So I think that that's, that's part of it too is like you know the inside reality of focusing on the day-to-day is easier when you have a day-to-day to focus on whereas for us it's like if I was going to focus on Liverpool today what would I do I'd probably look at the table and I'd count how many games we have left and now I'm already not focused on what's next it's actually not that much fun being a fan if you were to look <laughs> and just be like I'm just going to focus on whoever we play next which is Watford now it's even less fun right so yeah. Um. Yeah. Like that's. Yeah, and, and I think you you bring up a really important point. And one of the, the 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 things, if we look at, I suppose, if we delve into general kind of anxiety and and stuff like that, like there's a huge amount of anxiety around in the world at the moment for lots of different reasons, and part of my understanding the work I do around anxiety is people don't feel in control okay so I can see how pundits uh, well not so much pundits fans more so can not be anxious but can get caught up in those narratives because they literally have no control over what happens and I can see how Klopp would not get anxious about Mo Salah's contract situation because what he has to control is what happens on the pitch. And he almost has an acceptance that, well, that's not part of my job. I don't need to worry about that. If Mo Salah is here in front of me, then he's part of my squad. If he's not here in front of me and he's out of the club, I still have a full squad to work with. I might prefer to have him, but it's out of my hands. And Probably Mo Salah is probably similar in terms of, I could imagine he doesn't think about his contract with Liverpool at all. He just leaves it to his, or not at all, but, you know, minor, unless he's having a conversation with his agent, who's saying, this is what I think we can get and this is what we should do. So I'm wondering how much of the fact that they can control a certain amount of what happens, because we just want Liverpool to be okay and Liverpool to win. And we think that Mo Salah is an essential element of that but he may or may not be. And Klopp is, is working with a, a squad who have the ability to win without Mo Salah. Yeah, and, you know, I think the control piece is really important because as fans, like, we have so little control. Pundits obviously have very little control too, and it does, it, it ratchets up the anxiety factor, but also the reactivity factor. So sometimes, like, the emotional reactions we have are, like, our... <laughs> our bodies attempt to like gain some sort of control or to like, you know, like an angry tweet to the to FSG or whatever. Like, obviously that's wild, but like some part of us thinks like if I express my anger, like 
it'll make me hurt or I'll have done something. That action makes us feel like there's more control than in reality we have. Like, I, And then, you know, I think on the, fl- the flip side of it too, sort of like the behind the curtain side, if we want to keep up this in front of the curtain, behind the curtain, like um, there's also just a reality that sometimes these things don't work out and that uh, there's also a reality that sometimes um, you lose or you don't accomplish what you want to accomplish. And I think that's also what allows this Liverpool group to be as grounded as it is in the center. And I think, you know, you're dead on when you're talking about Klopp. Like, it's not that he's indifferent about whether or not Mo Salah is present, but he's been around this long enough that he's lost important players before mm-hmm. and knows that this can be okay and you go, you move on. You know, it's it's not as damaging sometimes you lose. And I think, like, when I work with individual athletes, sometimes, like, this is a really important milestone for people, too, is, like... Um, you know, sometimes you don't get what you're shooting for, and sometimes you lose, and sometimes, you know, like when we were 10 points behind in January, I don't remember exactly, I think we did a podcast sometime around then, and mm-hmm. like, um, I think you asked me if I thought the league was out of reach, and I think my answer was maybe, like, you know, it might be, and and like, I think that's such a terrible answer, first of all, but also, um, like, the the reality to that is I think sometimes behind the curtain, it's like, you just keep winning games and you see what happens. But, like, you might lose. It might not be good enough. But, like, um, if you're convinced that this has to be good enough or we need to achieve this or, like, um, it makes it hard to stay grounded in the present moment. And, like, it ramps up that anxiety factor, like you said. It makes it feel like, well, I need to get this in control. And the re- the reality of it is, like, you know, you do your best. You put yourself out there. Um, whether you're an individual and, and you're just trying to play your best game, sometimes there's going to be mistakes and you have to be comfortable with the fact that sometimes the outcome's not what you want. It doesn't necessarily mean you didn't play well. Um, you know, at the end of this season, like, we might lose, we might go to Man City and lose and then finish four points behind them at the end of the year and that would mean what? That we lo- like won pretty much every game besides that one? Like, that would be really incredible. And, like, that would suck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like the, the reality of it is like that there's this, there's that contradiction in there and being finding comfort in that contradiction or just finding a comfortable space in that contradiction of like, all we can do is play the next game and keep winning games. And at the end of the season, someone's going to count the points. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how much sense all of that made out, but like, I, but I know, think that's. Yeah. To me that actually, I th- what you're describing is what I, see on the pitch in terms of the 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 team trusts the process the team trusts the team as individuals to do what they need to do and they don't chase the game that's what I've noticed. They're not chasing games. It's almost like we know that you know people talk about the plan B and we've talked about this before. But the they're so well drilled and they trust plan A so much that they keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and they're winning. So that's building up the bank of evidence that, you know, and and the, the bank of trust that if we keep doing this process, it is going to work more times than it's not going to work. And we look at the game against North Forest in the, in the FA Cup. We didn't play particularly well, but the players didn't seem to be panicking on the pitch, which is very different to what I'm seeing in the teams around us. 
uh, including Man City. They ju- like I watched the the end of the Crystal Palace match, and they just seemed as if they someone wanted to actually literally pick the ball up and just run it into the net just to give them something, you know. So that's the the big difference I see with how Liverpool are at the moment is that the trust in the process and with everyone else on the pitch, I know we can do this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, well, I, I it's interesting about Man City and, you know, it's interesting, like, um, we talk a lot or have talked a lot about identity, although people who are new to this might not know that. So, you know, like, um, you know, identity is a really central part of one, like the mental side of individual performance, knowing your skill set and knowing how to, like trust in that skill set and implement that skill set effectively like is kind of the where focus comes from where confidence comes from but at a team level too like having a good sense of team identity and team game plan and belief in that game plan and um, clarity around that game plan and what are we good at as a group is also where group confidence comes from it's where sort of this idea of momentum comes from it's that growing belief and like um what the group is capable of that allows you to focus more clearly on certain processes and execute those processes better because you can kind of cancel out the noise of the doubt by focusing on the actual things you need to do. Um, You know, it's interesting in some ways, like Manchester City has an identity that's built a lot around control. This is true of them as like a a soccer team and how they play on the pitch. It's true of Guardiola and how he sees the game. Like it's, it's about controlling the game. Um, and, you know, what you're pointing out is interesting, just like the less control they seem to have, um, the nervier they seem to get or the harder it is for them to do their thing. And like when that control is pushed a little bit, um, it's complicated. I mean, and then you've got Klopp, who this is his whole thing, right? Like sure. being the underdog and coming from the impossible position and creating chaos for the, the dominant force and so it's like if you look at how these identities are sort of playing out right now and I don't know how much there is to this but there may be something is that like you know Man City when they've won the title they've won it big they've done it by having control not only over each game but they've done it often by having control over the league whereas Liverpool when we've made our pushes it's really being strong in this underdog position and pushing hard from that position and kind of creating chaos from that position but being focused on that process and that's sort of how it's playing out like I think probably gives us some reason for optimism yeah i agree with you and i think even after the palace match guardiola was out complaining about the pitch and you know stuff like that and it it just points to somebody who's maybe feeling the pressure a bit he hates losing and you know it's like klopp hates losing too and klopp will complain about whatever he can find to complain about but like in fairness to them neither of them have had to do it a lot it's unbelievable how rarely they lose Mm. Yeah, like we're looking at potentially two teams hitting ninety plus points again. Like this, is, this doesn't happen. Like it, I know it's happened quite a bit over the last few years, but in the history, in the hundred and something years of league football, hitting that those kind of numbers just doesn't happen. And yet here we are looking at two teams fighting it out, punching each other to the to the very end. It's just unbelievable. And if we look at some of the other teams around us and in terms of the culture. So, you know, for those of you who maybe are new to the Mindful podcast, we do talk about culture quite a bit and how there's been different elements or different moments over the years of Klopp building that culture that people have questioned and we'll regularly refer back to the West Brom draw where he went down to the, took the team down to salute the fans and was ridiculed for it. But 
we were talking about the importance of that in terms of building a connection and a culture with the with the with the, the fans and the players and we we we've seen the benefit of that over the last number of years even the fact that after last season we have come back as strong as we have and we have added very few players so i think we need to understand that it's not just FIFA or football manager that we're playing here this is the culture needs to be is is at the the, the core of what we're doing and then we have Chelsea <laughs> what kind of culture have they got right now like Jesus Christ what a shit show yeah a little bit um, now, now, I, I think Klopp would be phenomenal at Chelsea right now and I'm curious to see how Tuchel does it with the fact that you know will he be able to do that okay it's us against the world but actually can you even do that in a situation that they're in right now given the severity of it all well yeah I mean like suddenly positioning yourself as us against the world like you have to really be careful who us is and who the world is and whether that's yeah, really yeah. like it, it, I mean those are sides you want to be on I, I think like you know you have some Chelsea supporters who chant Abramovich's name and I, I think on the one hand what that means to them is maybe really different from what it sounds like to the outside and um allegiance can make you sort of blind I think sometimes or that that in-group us versus the world can make you pretty blind to how things are perceived on the outside like it yeah I don't know because like at some point like is, is this about football now like and is that really what we're talking about and if it's not really the most important thing going on with Chelsea Football Club then that makes it complicated to be a supporter it makes Tuchel's job very complicated and um you know I think he's doing his best to try to walk that line and navigate that um complicated situation but like yeah there's there's a lot of questions to be asked there mm. and there, there, there's been a lot of questions even before all this kicked off you know they've invested exceptionally heavily in their attack and it's quite blunt and whether that's down to individuals or whether it's down to tactics or a com combination of both who knows but they're definitely and even you know the Lukaku interview before Christmas and stuff like that 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 points to to me anyway of I don't know uh, uh, there isn't a culture there of we're, we're all in this together no and you know I think like that I'm trying to think like, in my my time watching the Premier League if there really has been and like I think Mourinho creates that in that weird us versus them way but not mm -hmm. in like that sustainable us versus them way and I think like you know Chelsea is like a it's Chelsea's different from this current Liverpool squad and this current Man City squad and like there's a lot of continuity there and like there's something that continues over time there, like there's a we that exists mm. there whereas like Chelsea never really had that it was like this group is good and then you know Mourinho gets fired and then someone else comes in and like now it's like well there's this kind of new group that's good and then they get fired and someone else comes in and then there's money spent and now it's like this group is good and I think there was a little bit of a false dawn, to be honest, last year. And, like, what people expected of this Chelsea group coming into this season was unrealistic because they won the Champions League in 
a year where the Champions League was weird and complicated anyways. And mm. I like, um, you know, then they bought really big, but like we've talked about on here a bunch of times, like buying big doesn't get you a culture and like culture and identity is what wins over the long term. And I, I think, um, you know, like they don't, they don't really have that identity yet. Like I think Tuchel's fine. Like, I, I don't know. I don't really know what they are or what they're supposed to be. I think that's probably the problem. I, I would sus- suspect that they don't know what they are or what they need to be right now as well. Because even being a player in that scenario, I'm sure internally there are conflicts, you know, around what 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 do we represent or who do we represent or hearing Abramovich's name shouted from the stands with, with the home fans. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a head fuck, you know. But talking about, you know, how we've discussed in the past where big money doesn't buy you success. Everton Football Just, Club. <laughs> Sorry, go, <laughs> Sorry on. go on. I was actually, I was, one more thing about Chelsea is like, yeah. I think the behind the curtain part of that, um, of the club being in disarray and like people having a lot of instability, like the behind the curtain of that, I think would be really impactful on the the players because it's going to impact the staff it's going to impact at every level like you've probably got a lot of people scrambling there with with the sanctions and trying to figure out how to make this club work under these Mm -hmm. conditions and i think that's um you know day-to-day in practices that's going to show up in different ways day-to-day in your travel it's going to show up and i think introducing that many question marks is just pretty exhausting um for a group and i'm sure that that's you know that's taking a toll there and um I suppose that's partly the point, um, but it's not really meant maybe for those the players there and the staff there to be feeling it in that way. But also, this is, I guess, what it looks like to disrupt someone's asset really significantly. Like in some ways, like if they were playing through this successfully and winning a bunch, then it would be like, well, you're not really doing. I don't know. It's maybe not yeah. a football question. But you know, you could delve into well, what's going to happen with bonuses from sponsors and all that kind of stuff. Like it's just there's so much wrapped up. But yeah, let's talk about Everton. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> like they came in with we're going to build this brand spanking new stadium, and we're going to got you know we're going to get all these big players and spend huge amounts of money, and we're going to take back and we're going to be the main club in Liverpool a rightful seat as the main club in Liverpool again. And then, I was going to say then Agent Rafa came in, but even it's, but the rot's been setting in there for a few seasons now. What's your take from the outside looking in from a psychological perspective? What do you think is going on and what, if if you were there, like even the appointment of Frank, Frank Lampard, crazy you know but if you were there what would you be looking to focus on to try and get them to turn things around i mean like always for me it comes back to identity like you can't go anywhere until you have that because it's really hard to build any sort of confidence um without something to place that confidence in and so um you know, it, it would start with really being clear about what are our strengths as a group individually. What are our strengths? And I, I think you look around like it's not it's not an untalented squad, mm-hmm. but it just it feels like um, a lot of the talented players there maybe have lost some sense of what they do well, 
Um, and maybe don't have a clear idea of how that plays out in the larger picture of how the team is supposed to function to win games either. And so, you know, I think that that's the first part of it is like really getting people clear on their strengths and what they're good at and how that fits into a bigger team picture and like how, how is this team supposed to win and, and what does that look like? And then, um, you know, obviously there's everything to fight for. And they're not in a terrible position to fight for it, you know? So, like, um, I, I think the other thing that becomes really hard is, like, the, there's an expectation, like, there's expectations and then there's a reality, too. Yeah. Which is, like, um, I think it would be easy if you're down that end of the table and down that far in the table, having been expected maybe to be totally on the other side, it's, it's easy to start feeling like, well, even if we avoid relegation, that is an embarrassing season. And that's sort of true. Like, that's embarrassing in relation to what you started hoping for and expecting. But, like, coming to terms with that reality of here's where we are. And, you know, like, part of it is got to get the fans on board with that reality. This is where we are. All we have is to avoid the drop. Like, mm. so buckle up for a relegation battle and yeah. see if you can get behind the group. And, like, I, I haven't watched enough Everton recently, um, except I watched them. Who did they play recently against... Maybe it was Newcastle because they they beat Newcastle, but God, did they look bad? Yeah, I saw that game. They were not good. And, no, they looked bad. But the fans seemed like they were up for it. Yeah, but the, like, the, but that's the thing. The, everyone's fans are passionate fans, and I think the the concerning the major concern I would have for them is listening to Frank Lampard coming out after matches and just literally washing his hands of any kind of influence on this and blaming the players like he's only in the door so he's he's doing literally the complete opposite of what you're saying to, yeah. to the public right well and that's 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 a huge issue right and so like i haven't seen a ton of his um post-game press conferences but you know i think there's a school of thought that's like uh, this is a way to motivate people is to sort of embarrass them and put the blame on them and they need to take accountability and that's you know in that in that interaction of like punishment and uh, accountability, like that's what's really going to motivate people is to prove me wrong. And I, I think like, um, you know, that works sometimes. Like you can get something out of someone by being hard on them. You can get something out of yourself by being hard on yourself. Probably, you know, we've experienced like different people have experienced this at different points. Um, but at some point, like the fuel that you're burning is your self-esteem. So if you're really low on that and you keep trying to kick yourself while you're down, you're not going to get any extra mileage. Like you're you're out of gas and now you have nothing mm. left to stand on. And I think that's probably kind of the case with this group is like um, if you want to push someone to higher heights by bruising their ego a little bit, like you got to make sure they have some ego left. And I don't think this group does. Like they just don't have that strength of identity in that. Um, belief in themselves to like fight back against something like that. So I think it's the the totally wrong approach. That's the, maybe that's the first thing I would say is you know Frank that this is Shut not the, the thing. Man. This is this is not what you think right now. Yeah, and we'll we'll tip on Manchester United and then swing back around to Liverpool. So I think before the pod started, I said to you. They literally have no culture right now. It's like it's been eviscerated, you know, in in every single manner. And 
you know, my dad is a United fan. My brother is a United fan. I, I go to a gym where the, the gym owner is a passionate, passionate United fan. And oh my God, they are, they are literally in the horrors. And I am loving every fucking minute of it. But talk to me a little bit about the the lack of culture there and the impact of bringing in an interim manager and what I thought was actually I didn't hear it but somebody was saying to me that um, Teddy Sheringham was on Monday Night Football and what he said was something in the lines of like if you were a United player and you knew Ralph wasn't around for for beyond the season would why would you bother playing for him and when I heard that I kind of went oh my god that is like the most horrendous thing. If I had a player, any players in my squad or in my club who looked at the coach and went, well, he's not here until, you know, he's only here until May. I'm not going to bother my ass. Out the door, sharpish, quick. So what's your take? Well, they've been keeping around players like that for a long time. You know, like they... they Soccer is football, excuse me, is Pogba's side hustle, right? Like, he's a yeah. fashion maven or whatever it is he does. He's a brand. Like, that's his, he is his primary job. Like, let's just call that what it is. I don't think that makes him a bad person to have around the team or a bad person. Like, um, but I think it, it, like, you have to have the right culture in place to handle that kind of personality and to get the best out of that kind of personality. France has been able to do that really well. Mm-hmm. Because they have bigger people there, they're not expecting Pogba to be the football leader, right? So Man United has. I, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo is the same. I, like he's he is absolutely like a a model professional in terms of his commitment to the game. But like he he his brand is like that's his most important thing. Mm-hmm. And so like you've introduced, I think like a number of players who like they are the most important thing. Like, you've lost the figurehead of the club in Ferguson who was really, like, keeping everyone in line with a certain identity and belief in the United Way. Um, And, I mean, the club just hasn't acted in accordance with that in a really long time. Um, And so, you know, where are they now? (laughs) I mean, like... My best friend's a United fan too, and oh my god, like they're they're a disaster. He picked them he, like at the start of the year. He was like, "Oh, they'll finish above Liverpool this year." It's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's just, it's unbelievable. Like what what they think they are too. Like sense yeah. of identity. Like they don't even realize how shit they are. Like maybe they do now, but like, um, I think the funniest thing about Ragnik, 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 Ragnik. I think I think the funniest thing about that is like, right? Like they brought in an interim manager, but they didn't even really right. Like, no one like is he really a manager? He's just kind of there as a consultant. Like, is kind of my vibe, right? So it's like he's not really trying to put himself in place as like a figurehead in the club. It doesn't strike me as that. Like, he's just holding space until he can find someone who he says I like this guy, and like. He benched a bunch of people and brought random people out of nowhere, like Diego Diogo Dalla. Like, like this guy was supposed to be gone, right? But I think it just shows too, like how little structure there is within that group. Like they don't know who their best players are, who their leaders are, who they're going to get a lot from on a given day. Like 
at least you could say that under Ollie, like they knew that, like they had more identity somewhat, but at least like Ollie's narrative was consistent. Like Bruno Fernandez was their main guy, but then they brought in a player for a bunch of money who made Bruno Fernandez worse. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, like they just make decision after decision after decision that makes the waters more muddy, which is also what happened at Everton for a long time. Yeah. Um, and if you look at our squad, like obviously, like we have a, a ton of depth right now, but like we know what our starting lineup looks like. We know what our best thirteen or fourteen players are, and that like that makes a difference. And so like maybe you have one player who I can think of in Joe Gomez, who maybe is surprised by their current situation. Um, yeah. Like, that that's fair enough. But even someone like Oxlade-Chamberlain, like, who's probably not getting the time he wants, like, understands, like, I'm just not in that group right now. And I can try to earn my way back in there, but I'm not in that group. And I think, like, um, having hierarchy with some mobility within it creates stability. And, like, I just think if you look over there at United and what is supposed to be this hierarchy and, like, um, it's just really a mess and I feel like I'm less clear on how they're supposed to play now that they've brought in someone who's like got a really clear style except that also like that might not be the style next year so it's like you bring someone in normally you bring in someone with a clear style with the idea that okay it's going to take two or three years to implement this style but this is sort of like well let's take six months to do something totally different so we can bring someone in to do something totally different and in the meantime um, just watch the personalities combust it's absolutely beautiful. It, so, yeah, it is so a little. Let's pull it back around to, to Liverpool to kind of edge toward the the end of the pod. And I think you bring up a really important point, and it's something that I think is is one of either Klopp's uh, best traits or or the club's best traits in terms of managing those players who are on the periphery and not having them coming and speaking out of turn in the media. Mm -hmm. How does he do that? And or not how does he do it? How how do players not turn around and go, what the fuck I, right agent get onto twitter and start posting shit about me not getting played once in a while we do see that right like the the post so nabby kate's agent came out i think at some point again i think it was the chelsea game at the start of this year and then, like but yeah it is really uncommon um you know i think i think a few things that jump out to me the first one is like um the interpersonal parts of things. Um, and I've seen this a bunch of times in Klopp's interviews is like, it doesn't really matter. Like he can, he can make a really tough call about you not playing or not even being in the squad and then interact with you the next day and interact with you in a really kind interpersonal way and like cares about you. And like, um, you know, going behind the curtain, like that goes a long way with players, like feeling cared about, mm-hmm. like um, matters. And as much as like a lot of people say that, well, that's garbage. I shouldn't be, the thing here it's like no like feeling feeling important and feeling cared about matters and i think like there's a fine line too and like um all of these players want to play really badly and so i think sometimes what can happen too is like um care in playing time 
become sort of convoluted in certain ways. And so it's like, you know, I think Klopp does a really nice job being clear of just like, yeah, these aren't the same thing. I know you want to play. I care about your playing. I see what you're good at. I notice what you're good at. Like, I... I think I don't think he's lying when he talks about how impressed he is with certain players who rarely play. Like I think mm-hmm. he sees what Divacarigi's potential is, but just it's not going to get him in the squad right now. Um, and so I think that's part of how he does it too. Is like it's not playing time isn't the equivalent of carrier importance. And so like when you can separate those things, it becomes really useful. And, you know, I, I read, well, it was Latan Ibrahimovic's autobiography, and he talked about Pep Guardiola, who obviously he doesn't care for. But one of the things in there is, like, basically Pep made a hard decision about benching Zlatan and then didn't talk to him at all. And, like, in that book, all Zlatan really probably wanted was for him to just say, here's why I dropped you. Like, the team's going to be better without you in it. And sorry, like, here's where we are right now. You're a tremendous player, but our team is better when you're not starting. Um, and then you weather the storm of that, like, of someone being mad at you, and you take that for what it is. Um, but, you know, that's something, like, in my work and some of, like, the, the more elite groups that I work with is, like, um, people get frustrated when they don't know where they stand. And people get frustrated when they're told they're standing higher, but the playing time doesn't match that. Mm-hmm. Like, for the most part, a lot of the... the I, I think a lot of athletes know that sometimes, like, if you're not in, like, you need to work hard to get your place back. But they feel like the, the way things are supposed to go is you're told, here's what you do, here's what you need to do to get back in the team, and if you do it, you get back in the team. Um, but when there's a big question mark that is when you start to get people who are really frustrated or you know you make a lot of promises when you're brought in and like we've heard interviews before where Klopp basically doesn't make people promises about playing time mm-hmm. like with Kanate like I think he asked like how much am I going to play and Klopp said I'm not, I don't know like I'm not going to make that promise to you here's what I can promise to you and I think that setting that expectation up front of like right there like playing time isn't currency and I don't owe that to you as part of your deal um you know, you're setting expectations really clearly up front about how do we do this. And then I think when you have, of course, a group of people with a similar expectation who are interacting with each other and treating playing time in a similar way, that's when you get this this cultural force, too, that, um, like, a common way of reacting to that. So, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people at Liverpool who are upset about their playing time. I just think they probably haven't been made the kinds of promises that other people have and you know I think the other thing is like you have that structure that's really in place so like I named Nabby and I named um, Joe Gomez as players who maybe would have cause to be more frustrated than others Um, and it's because they've sort of been in these starting roles before and might reasonably expect that that would have been their longer term trajectory and so it might mess with them a little bit more frustrate them a little bit more that that's not even close to where things are at right now yeah I think the other important piece in that I would suspect that it probably is the, like you said, the the personable um, element. I could imagine door uh, club has an, an open door policy, where players are, it is comfortable. Their their relationship is comfortable enough that they can go to him and say, "Boss, I'm really disappointed with my game time," and he will sit them down and listen to them, and as you know, I, with every single person that I, I I work with, I will always talk about the importance of acknowledgement we need to be heard 
as human beings, we need to know the people who notice us and see us and hear us. And I can imagine Klopp is superb at actually acknowledging the people, acknowledging their strengths, acknowledging the, the elements that they could work on and also being able to say to them, you are going to get chances. It might not just be what you what you want, but that doesn't mean that you won't get in. So I think that piece ultimately comes down, and we've said it time and time again, for Klopp, he is dealing with humans first. He is not dealing with football players. And I think that's what makes him so special. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I think because he he's very comfortable staying connected to a person while giving bad news on the business side of things or on the, the playing time side of things, it seems like. Like, he can say something hard to someone without that being personal. And I think just that's that's a pretty masterful level of communication. I think a lot of people struggle to have a hard conversation with someone without it becoming um, an argument or, like, a, a punishment or, like, a criticism or, like feeling personal in addition to professional and like you know being mindful that this is both like their careers are incredibly personal to them mm-hmm. but also like I can give you hard news and care about you at the same time like I cannot play you and trust in how good you are it's like a really complicated balance to hold and um, I mm-hmm. suspect a lot of coaches just can't do it yeah and it's interesting I know me and you've spoken off air in the past about how much I enjoy listening to uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and he recently bought out a, brought out a book uh, talking about the the elements that he thinks is really important in business but one of the, the things that he struggled with was candor which is essentially you know giving people bad news and he said he realized that this is not actually helping anybody so if I turn around to Sally in the in the the, the hallway and go Sally you're doing a great job and then I'm pulling her in the next day going uh, I have to let you go he was kind of going that that doesn't work for her it doesn't work for me it doesn't work for the business and he said he noticed that the, the businesses needed something to change and what he did was he put kind in front of it and he said literally that was the mindset shift that he needed because he didn't have to be a prick about it he didn't have to be horrible to people he could be kind to these people and see them as people but still deliver the news that needed to be delivered and I think that is exactly what Klopp does probably on a daily basis yeah i think the stability that that brings to a group is um really important just Mm. across the board like for lack of a better way of saying this like sometimes you need an adult and like um you know one of the roles of an adult if you have like an adult kid dynamic is like it the kid gets to throw tantrums sometimes and obviously, like, you don't want that, like, you don't, but, like, you know, I understand, like, when I tell my son Henry, like, no, like, it's dinner time, so we're not eating junk food or whatever, or we're turning off the TV because we have to eat dinner, like, he's going to get really upset, and he's two, so he might get, like, violently upset, you know, and, like, yeah, yeah. my job as his parent is not to be like okay let's turn the tv back on or to it's not to get like furiously mad at him it's to be able to like handle the fact that like yeah he's upset because he doesn't get to watch the tv that we want but like i still love him and we're all gonna eat dinner and like he gets some time to be upset but like he's not gonna eat his dinner anyway because he's two but (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna throw it on the floor but yeah right and you're not turning around and going i hate that person because he's thrown a tantrum or i'm not going to speak to him because he's upset right 
You're just not well, not yet. Wait till he's fifteen. <laughs> then you might. Well, he might. He won't speak to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the other end of that spectrum. <laughs> so, Andrew, to wrap things up, this has been, I think, a really enjoyable uh, chat around what we see as Liverpool's current situation and some of our opposition. Are we winning all four? It's possible, maybe. <laughs> I mean, but like, I think the reality is like just the fact that it's possible is incredible. Mm-hmm. And like, this team could really do it. But like, making that prediction, like, you never know when an off day is going to pop up. You never know what bounces you're going to get on this off day. This team could do it. Yeah. And like, that's really cool. There's going to be some coin flips in there, you know, and you never know what way those coin flips are going to fall. But no one's ever done it before. So that, the, the the stat people are going to hate me because what is the gambler's fallacy? But it's never been done before, so we're due, right? (laughs) Uh, I've been a Liverpool fan for just under 40 years now. And I have never, so I lived through the 80s, I've never seen a team, maybe the 87, 88 team, but I've never seen a team or squad like what we have now and we are we are living through a time where people will look back on as probably the greatest Liverpool squad in history and we are so lucky to be living through it yeah I mean it's incredible Andrew thank you so much for your insights and uh, I'm not going to make any promises about when we're going to be (laughs) chatting again just in case but hopefully sooner rather than later and to the listeners, if you are not subscribers and you don't want adverts in the middle of your podcast, just sign up. The amount of quality content you're getting every single day is worth the few quid that it is to be a subscriber. So sign up, join the Discord, and you're going to get more fantastic awesomeness like this. In reasonable doses. In reasonable doses. won't explode the universe. Yeah, we don't want to push you too hard with awesomeness. All right, guys, until the next time, take care of yourselves. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds. And it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.